0: Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. My name is Joshua Butler. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, we're joined today by special guest Derek Rishmaui. Derek, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Definitely so glad to have you here. Uh, I'll introduce a little more about Derek in a minute, Uh, but we are in a series on the Exodus where every week on Sundays we've been walking through uh, God's deliverance of his people uh, in the Exodus and exploring, man, just what this means uh, for us as followers of Jesus today. And the week, uh, this week, we have been looking in Exodus 7 through 10 at the plagues on Egypt. And so we're going to be looking at um, kind of using that as a launch pad to talk about what can be kind of a thorny topic maybe for many today, uh, but that of God's wrath. Uh, some people struggle with the idea of wrath. Does this mean that God is vindictive or vengeful or kind of has a dark side? Um, and a core conviction gospel is that uh God is love through and through and yet God's wrath anger arises because of his love for the world not in spite of it. Uh, but I couldn't think of anybody better to help us kind of wrestle through uh this topic today than Derek. Uh Derek, I think you and I first met online. Uh you uh are your blog it's uh reformedish is kind of the title but it's derek com. is that yeah. correct? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Dude, Derek has an amazing blog I highly encourage you uh, if you're looking for just some great food for thought great content theological content um, that is, it's just really it's one of my, my my favorites out there uh, and we kind of got to know each other through that and then have connected more over the years Had the chance to hang out even in person once and just uh, but really grateful Derek for your voice in the life of the church today Uh, Derek, now you have been uh, working on your PhD at Trinity uh, out in Mm -hmm. Chicago, and now you are uh, in Southern California with uh, RUF, Reformed United Fellowship, going to be focusing on working with college students and still um, speaking uh, theologically into the life of the church today. Uh, Is that correct? Is there anything you'd want to tell us about yourself, Derek?
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah ruf at uc irvine i'm there and uh, i th- part of it i think we met though was because uh, i wrote about your excellent book skeletons in god's closet which i still recommend all the time uh as well as, well as your, your 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 second one and so um we started when i read you and thought this guy's <laughs> this guy's awesome I, I i highly recommend his work if you're listening to me i've read josh's book yet uh thanks man. No, know we we force so, everyone
0: uh, in our church for redemption listeners. Yeah, course, it's part of the <laughs> That's that, that, that. no, good. That's good. Excellent. No, no joke. Oh, um, and I should mention yeah, too no, it... uh one of the big things how could I could forget. Uh the Mere Fidelity podcast. You and a crew of three others do oh, uh cool. one of my favorite podcasts out there. I highly recommend if you're looking for some good uh good content to listen on wrestling with uh theology for the life of the church today. Um man, it's it's excellent. Excellent. Definitely. Thanks, man. It means a lot. Well, let's jump in. So today we're talking about uh, the subject of wrath, uh, which can be a difficult one, but I thought it'd be good to kind of start where our series is at, just in the Exodus itself. Sometimes these conversations can become very abstract, and often in Scripture we see it arising within the, the story, kind of the narrative of God's interactions with the world. And there's a lot going on uh, in the God's engagement, his confrontation with Egypt and his deliverance of his people from Egypt. And so, Derek, I guess maybe for starters, you know, our, our sermon this, this Sunday uh, will have been on the the plagues. But I, I'm curious if you could offer any reflections on what do you see happening in God's confrontation with Egypt, with God's wrath in these plagues as it relates to Egypt? Uh, can you give us any hooks or insights that, that might help us get a clearer picture of what's happening here?
1: Well, there is, uh, there is so much going on with uh, this narrative, the Exodus. I mean, it's a foundational narrative in, in all of the scriptures. There's a couple of great books, both by the title Echoes of Exodus, uh, that kind of point out how foundational uh, the Exodus event itself is for thinking about um, who God is, right? Who is God? That's one of the central questions. That is uh, being adjudicated. That's being demonstrated as the identity of God in the Exodus. Right? One of the one of the one of the first things you see in the confrontation with Moses and and Pharaoh. Moses tells him to that, that the Lord, that Yahweh, has said, "Let my people go." And 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 I don't know if you recall Pharaoh's response is, "Who is Yahweh hmm. that I should listen to him?" And that, that question, there's a, there's a book, um, The God Who Makes Himself Known, and that guy's name is escaping me right now. But it, he points out that that question is central to the conflict mm. that follows. Who is Yahweh that I should listen to him, that I should obey him? And the rest of the narrative of the plagues and so forth is God making himself known. You, you don't know who I am. I, mm. I will let you know who I am. I'm the Lord. I'm the one who sets my people free. I'm the one who keeps my promises. And, and one of the big things that he's, he's, he's demonstrating is he is the true Lord, the actual hmm. God, right? And, and even that, that right there is that the, the contest of the gods is one of the very first things because not only does Egypt have this huge hmm. pantheon of gods, right? And we'll, we'll talk more about that in itself, but the Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself is considered uh, a deity, Right. And so, so when, when Pharaoh con contests the Lord's uh, identity, who is this? This is some random, you know, slave God, some nomad God that I've never heard of. He doesn't, th- he, he's challenging him. He's dismissing him and saying, basically I, I am, hmm. I am deity. I'm God. I, I don't need to, I don't even to listen. I don't need to submit. Um, And so, so that's one of the big things that kind of sets the context for the conflict that follows, uh, so that I think is, is one of the big things that comes off in this, and especially that's reinforced when you start to see like Exodus three, the giving of the divine name. That's 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 the big the big question with Moses: is, who who shall I say sent me? Right, and, and, and it goes on throughout the, throughout the whole narrative of Exodus. That, so that's, that's an important part of the context of thinking through what's going on with the plagues. At least some of what's going on with the plagues is a contest with the gods of Egypt. And especially as they're represented in the arrogance of Pharaoh, who will not acknowledge the Lord as the true God of the universe, as the high God of heaven. And so that's part of the important context that I would say frames a lot of what follows.
0: Wow. That's good. Yeah. So there is this confrontation with idolatry, uh, not just in the sense of like little stone statues or anything, but actually like a a, a Pharaoh and the Egyptian empire that he leads, that has built itself um, on these idols kind of legitimated, justified under them and stands in uh, Opposition Mm -hmm. to the one true God of all creation, who is uh, so. It's more than. If I hear you right, part of this is going. It's it's more than just like God woke up on the wrong side of the bed one day. (laughs) Like, like this is a conflict or confrontation between the the question of who is really God, you know, Mm -hmm. and and involves a revelation of who God is. Uh, Yeah, go ahead.
1: And it's not a petty. It's not just a petty thing, right? Because the the pharaoh pharaoh's identity and the gods of egypt um like like you said they 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 justify the whole system right and the whole system of egypt is a system of oppressions built on slave labor on the backs of of oppressed uh of of an oppressed um population and this is this is all this is all justified. Like the whippings, the beatings, the the murder, the 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 subjugation of these people is justified with an appeal to their divine status, their divine authority. They are the lords of Egypt. They're the lords of the Nile, like the lords of the sky, the lords of the uh, of, of 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 the the frogs and all these kinds of things. And and, and Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt stand behind and justify the entire system of oppression that is grinding Israel
0: into mm, the dust. Yeah.
1: And so that conflict is also okay which, you know, who is the real god? And and you know, is power is the ultimate power in the universe uh, a god of of mm. liberation, a god of compassion, a god who hears the cry of the slave or or is he the god who uh maintains the power of of the imperial
2: Hmm. oppressor yeah
1: that's the other that's the other Hmm. question there right because one of the first things that we hear early is it is that god hears the cry i think it's exodus 2 he hears the cries the cries people goes up and he hears them and that's what he calls moses Hmm. and and so so that's Hmm. the other thing is demonstrating who he is to the people to the world to, to the Egyptians, to Israel. He is a covenant keeping God. He's a promise keeping God. Uh, reality isn't fundamentally about the strong, uh, the powerful dominating the weak uh, in that sense. It, 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 it's deeper. It's much more beautiful. And so, so that's the other element. It's not just, it's not just God purely flexing uh just just to just to assert his own privilege, although that would be fine. There's a certain sense of like, I'm God. You need you to recognize that you, you're you're self-aggrandizing in in a, in a way that's utterly detached from reality. Um, but it's also a liberative uh, flex in that sense.
0: Yeah. So hmm. so God's confronting not only idolatry here, but mm-hmm. injustice, and there, and we can t- and those things are interlinked. Like we can tend to think of injustice as you know practical matter and. Idolatry is sort of Mm a religious thing, but uh, we see throughout the biblical narrative, these these two things are intertwined, the the gods are being used, idolatry is being used, Uh, the image bearers have become idol makers, and those gods are being used to justify uh, the oppression and and slavery that characterizes Egypt. And it strikes me how I think today many people, like we want a God often I think who empathizes or identifies with uh, the oppressed or the enslaved or the marginalized and all. Uh, But I feel like we see something more here. I mean, it's more than just empathy for or identification with, it's intervention Mm. on behalf of that There is uh, God's patience, and essentially in Genesis 15, we're given this foreshadowing, God's going to be patient with Egypt for a long time, Uh, but there there comes a point where God arises to intervene, and it seems like one aspect of his wrath that is, it's it's on behalf of justice and delivering the enslaved and oppressed and exploited, um, and to actually confront the ideologies and idolatries that, justify those things and and to establish a a people for his kingdom in the world Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that that and that that's a theme throughout scripture you'll see
1: over and over again uh idolatry and injustice interwoven uh we go hand in hand in babylon in in later israel itself when it get when it falls into idolatry It falls into injustice and you know the one stems from the other and vice versa injustice will lead you to worship those things will justify your injustice and then also worshiping false Mm -hmm. gods will lead you into unjust practices uh and so Mm -hmm. those things are caught up with each other and and that's that's one of the main thing themes that's kind of caught up with with uh these narratives in 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 exodus and then on throughout the whole scripture
0: one other thought on Exodus, you know, it, it strikes me the you know Egypt didn't just have one god, but many gods, and these gods were seen to be identified with the Nile River or different aspects of nature, creation, and as many scholars have observed, it, it, the plagues in the Exodus uh, are targeting the the gods, like the the the, the 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 Nile River, the the different aspects of. Um, creation that egypt had worshipped and made idols for so it 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 seems like there's a confrontation not only god with pharaoh as sort of the representative for egypt as a whole but a god through the plague specifically confronting the gods of egypt Uh, and you've mentioned before kind of a a decreation element as well and i'm curious if you could talk about that like it strikes me that the first few plagues mm-hmm. you know moses and aaron are called to kind of you know moses to lift his staff and um and the first few plagues are directed towards uh you know point your staff towards the waters uh, the next few plagues towards the earth and the final few plagues towards the heavens and mm-hmm. it seems that there's almost this unraveling of creation around the Egyptian empire. And could you kind of speak to that theme of decreation, God, God's wrath as as decreation and unraveling?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a couple things going on. I'd, I'd be curious to see more what you think in, in, a, in other ways, but one of them is just an unmasking of the things that uh, we just tend to idolize, right? It's, it's, a, it's an unmasking and an assertion of sovereignty insofar as um, God makes the world, we see the creation narrative in, in Genesis 1, and it's this powerful polemic that, that the reality of the world is that it's made by God, right? God places the stars up in the sky, uh, they are lights that he put there, and, and he separated the waters and the earth, and he made the creeping creatures, and, and he, he's just this, this king who asserts, and he speaks, and then things happen. Right, But the process of idolatry is to take the things that God has made and then make them into gods uh, and, and to attribute to them power and authority and sovereignty, um, all the while kind of telling ourselves, okay, we're, we're, we're worshiping these things. These things are powerful over us, while at the same time realizing that they're much more manageable gods uh, than the true God. But in any case, what he's doing in all of these, in all of these uh, decreation kind of plagues is unmasking He's unmasking these things. Are okay? You think you think the Nile's a god? Okay. Well, let me just assert authority over it. You think mm-hmm. you know that that the, there's there's a god who's in charge of the frogs or the or the flies or uh, or you know the 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 stars? Well, let me just black out the let me just turn out the lights for a little bit because I'm mm-hmm. actually the creator of the lights. I'm sovereign over all of these things, and so the unmasking is 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 a is a particularly important part. A theme with the the knowing who god is just knowing him as the creator as the lord which is caught up with showing that these things are not actually gods these things are creatures uh mm-hmm. so you shouldn't worship them as such and you cannot use them to justify your practices you cannot appeal to them uh, over and against the, the the true god the just god and so that's a big part of it And it also starts to just show what um i think there's a there's a thematic element there where decreation and unraveling it it also starts to speak to the justice of god in the way he judges Uh, Um, creation is a gift of god all these things they have because god has made them and he's given them to us graciously kindly uh without any deserving on our part. We don't deserve the world to work in that sense. But, um, so judgment, judgment can look like God, uh, taking away, removing those good gifts that he's given, right. When, when somebody cuts off relationship, when somebody rejects God, well then you should, it stands to reason. You, you, you don't necessarily hang on to the things you received from God. Right, mm-hmm. if there's a there's a there's a divorce, um, and you re- you know somebody walks away from marriage, they don't necessarily uh, keep the ring that they were given, right? Because mm-hmm. it, that 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 came as a gift that went along with a promise that went along with the person. You reject the person, well, it's not well. I'm going to keep the ring anyways and sell it. No, you, you know, what, mm-hmm. God's going to take it back, and so yeah. His judgment there is is a taking back what He gave. Uh, in light of what we've rejected, and so mm-hmm. so that starts to speak to some some issues that we can get into regarding judgment mm-hmm. and symmetry and things like that. But th- those are a couple things I've seen. I don't, I don't know what you what you've seen in that theme.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, one maybe final observation there on Egypt and the plagues mm-hmm. is along those lines that you know. Essentially, when you think about Genesis, at the beginning of Scripture, it opens uh, the opening of Genesis with darkness and water. And then God's first acts of creation are to bring light, you know, uh, separate light from the darkness and then to separate the waters to create space for land and sky for heaven and earth. And so it seems like it's interesting, the the plagues on Egypt climax in darkness and water, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like the judgment yeah. um, it, at the climax becomes this unraveling back to this pre-creation state. Um, and yeah and likewise the symmetry on the it seems like a symmetry on the creation end and also symmetry on the justice end where when exodus one opens the the ending of the exodus one you have um Egypt, you have Pharaoh ordering the drowning all of the Hebrew boys in the Nile, mm-hmm. trying to cut off all all the males in the water, mm-hmm. so the drowning of uh the Hebrew males in water, and then at the climax of the a judgment on egypt with the plagues it's the drowning of the egyptian males mm. in water so it does feel like there's a symmetry there almost in a, a the evil that egypt has given itself to is coming back upon itself like on its own head mm-hmm. that symmetry with god's justice and that could be a good launch pad into maybe a second area for discussion here which is is just uh zooming out from the exodus story some of the things that um maybe reflections that you would have on the nature of God's wrath as we see it throughout scripture, throughout kind of, you know, church tradition, what we can say theologically about God's wrath. One of the things I've heard you talk about before that's been really helpful to me is that uh, God's agency is different than ours. How we often tend to think God acts uh, as an agent in the world the same way that, that you and I act, but that as creator, there's something distinct about Uh, God's agency, and this this has significance for how we understand God's wrath. So, you you talk about that—just God as an agent who acts and is involved in His creation. um, How is God distinct in His identity and agency in the world, and and what does that have to teach us about God's wrath?
1: Yeah, uh, there there are so many things uh, with that. I mean, the, the the first thing is obviously just that God is a creator and not a creature. So when it comes to thinking through um, what God's like, uh, what, um, what he, the way he interacts with the world, we're often, we often get this kind of picture of God as just like a much bigger version than ourselves uh, uh, in the sky, and, and he directs things and he responds and he reacts just like we do, and he's impacted by the world in much the same way that we are. But the reality is that God brought the world out of nothing, and it—the world depends on Him in such a fundamental way that He sustains it in in existence. He sustains it in being. You know, Hebrews says that Jesus uh, sustains the world by the very word of His power. Uh, he, you know, he, he brought the world out of He spoke the world into existence out of nothing, and that's a very radically unique uh, relationship that has no parallel. There's no there's no real analogy. in in human experience, Mm -hmm. um, which means that he relates to it in in a different way, which means when it comes to his agency, um, looking at the world of events, um, God's interaction with history is such that he can be at work in a situation where you don't necessarily quote unquote, see him at work. So when it comes to, Mm uh, the way the, the wrath of God works itself out in the world, there are a couple of different ways that Scripture talks about it, at least. But one of the ways that Scripture talks about it is in uh, in seeing wrath at work in the outworking of of the consequences of human sin. So yeah. when sin kind of comes back on your own head, right? One of the Psalms mm-hmm. talks about you know, man building a pit for others and then falling into it. And and hmm. he fell into his own pit. He, he he suffered what he meant to bring upon others. And and the psalm says, you know, the Lord made Himself known. Right. There's a sense in which the natural, like our our interpretation of that would be to look and see, um oh, okay, guy just kind of owned himself. Right.
0: God didn't yeah, do that. English he did it like, oh. himself. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah and, be the and and
1: and, <laughs> and the psalmist looks at that and says, look, oh look, he fell into the pity God he the pit he built. Justice. God. <laughs> God, God, God made him known. God,
0: God got, got him, him.
1: <laughs> uh, but without without necessarily seeing his agency, he sees it, right? But seeing seeing yeah. his justice at work in the in the in the outworking of of various things, whether whether it's human relationships, you know, kind of what we call natural reactions, natural consequences. When you consider the fact that God created nature with a certain rhythm and a certain mm-hmm. order. To it there's a there's a natural there's a natural grain and when you cut against the grain it kind of cuts back or bounces back uh people would tend to write that off, well that's not god that's just a natural consequences except for the fact that god sustains the created order and he built it that way mm-hmm. he built it to bounce back so to speak mm-hmm. uh and, and the bible mm-hmm. says that, that that when these things happen it is god uh pouring out his wrath in a way so they talk yeah sometimes the traditions talked about uh some folks will talk about things like the active or passive wrath of god and you see that language kind of drawn from uh places like romans 1. romans 1 talks about the the wrath of god being revealed and unveiled from heaven and it talks about the various sins that people have fallen into but but it says that you know and god handed them over to be degraded uh in their lust you know Mm -hmm. by worshiping uh things that are not god and, and the natural degradation that happens when you fall into idolatry is its own like the idea is that God in a sense punishes sin with more sin right you 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 yeah. want to go choose to worship a, a foreign god you know a a child sac- a god of child sacrifice a god of of death a god of whatever well that's gonna it's gonna lead to death that's gonna lead to the degradation hmm. of your own soul that in itself is punishment letting you suffer. What naturally comes to you is part of his judgment, his wrath, and and you start to see yeah. there. There's a symmetry between what happens to you and what you've done, and 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 and, and, yes. and, and so scripture Scripture doesn't like separate God from that. It says he's he's acting, but he's acting in such a way that he's sustaining the order. He's permitting folks to go. Keep going down that road and suffering the consequences of of uh, of what their what their folly is. So again, like uh, I think I can't remember if it's I think Second Kings seventeen talks about the uh, the rebellion of one of the kings of Israel and it's a political rebel, rebellion uh, against I can't remember which of the overlords was it Persia or no Persia's later is it Babylon. Josh, help me out. You, I'm you, looking know, it up here. Let's see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I wrote about this once. But the idea is this, like at the human level, the rebellion goes bad. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And uh, and it was done out of, it was done out of a, a foolish, sinful heart. And, and politically on the human level, you see uh, that provokes the, that provokes the overlord to come in and invade and destroy and punish. And there's a very, there's a very coherent
0: side note, it was Assyria, second mm-hmm. Kings seventeen. there we go. Second Kings. Yeah,
1: right, <laughs> right. There's a very coherent political story that you could look at and say, okay, this guy rebelled and his vassal over his feudal overlord and the overlord came back and, and, uh, and destroyed him. This, it's all a very human story. But if you scan down the verses, the author clearly says, and this is how God punished him for all of his sins,
0: hmm. right? Yeah. He,
1: he very clearly says, this is god's judgment at work
0: it actually says he was very angry and removed them from his presence like through through this event god did through this event yeah
1: exactly god is at work in the works of these foreign kings Hmm. in the life of israel and so uh that is that's an important part uh that's an important dimension to think about when it comes to uh, god's wrath and scripture is that it's not always extrinsically applied uh, from without but often it's just god handing people over to their own foolishness
0: yeah and
1: letting, letting it pay out what what it pays out
0: yeah someone so- yeah someone used the example with me once of like they were asking me they used the example like okay a fish jumping out of the water like onto a dock and then it's kind of flopping around you know because it wasn't made to live on the dock with the air and mm-hmm. and they were pushing back on the idea of wrath just going well see that's just a, a natural consequence of the fish's action uh, similarly, God just kind of gives us over to the, the natural consequence of wrath. He doesn't actually have wrath or punishment and judgment or any of that. And my pushback was like, well, um, I, I see what you're saying. You know, He was like, judgment would be like if someone walked down the pier with a stick and started beating on the fish right you know and, and i was like well i see what you're saying um but the reality is in in scripture that that, that piece again that god's agency is different from ours um god's not like a dude walking along necessarily w- with the a stick god is the creator of the fish and of the water and the sustainer the one who's holding the fish mm-hmm. together in its state who's holding the water together in its state and so when the creator and sustainer of all things lets the fish aka you and i jump out of the environment it was intended for that we were intended for and give ourselves to sin and that disordering and unraveling of you know the, the way that we were intended to live and the one for whom we were made um that it's from one angle you could say okay yeah it's a, it's a natural consequence you're getting what you deserve or whatever but from another angle uh, you could say dude god the creator and sustainer of all things is executing his just punishment and judgment on that fish so to speak you know like it's receiving the due punishment that he's ordered within creation and he's being faithful to his justice to distribute that which he has ordered creation in his justice to reflect if that makes sense
1: no yeah the the other is a very dumb example i I used to use with my high school students but i'll use it here recycle it um there's a you can imagine the situation with like a a child who has been warned multiple times hey dinner's coming uh, you can't have more than like one Oreo. <laughs> you just don't. You're gonna spoil
0: your dinner. Uh, Forget the child. This is me. <laughs> it's you. Yeah.
1: And, and then, but the child won't listen. And finally, you know, the, the mom mom's been dealing with them all afternoon, trying to fight it off. She sees him sneak into the room, thinking he's stealth, and then sneak up and grabs a sleeve of Oreos. And she says, "Finally, okay, whatever. Let's let it happen. Let's let it play out and see how he likes it." So the kid runs off thinking he's very smart, eats the entire sleeve of Oreos, thinking that he's pulled one over on his mom. And then when he sits up a half hour later with a full gut, uh, an aching stomach, feeling disgusting, terrible, uh, and, and just not unable to move. And mom comes in and says, there you go. Isn't that what you wanted? Mm, yeah. that—that <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's in a sense, mom's wrath saying, fine, if you're going to be a fool and you're not going to listen and you're going to disobey, I'm going to let you suffer. I'm going to willingly let you suffer these consequences uh, and they're bad and you won't enjoy them. And this is, this is punishment. This is, you deserve it. Um, and so there's a sense in which by her will, he suffers what he's suffering, even though it is the natural outworking of his foolish choice and the and the deserved consequence of sin at that point. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a mild analogy.
0: Yeah. Right. No, it's true.
1: But, yeah. But you to see how the agency of I could have stopped it. I I I can even more so in God's case, he wills that they suffer what they're suffering. Um yeah. and so so that's an important uh that's a that's a that's a very important Strong thread within scripture, thinking about how what God's wrath looks like in the present age. Hmm. So, I mean, that's 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 one thing to look at. Yeah, Um,
0: you know, I, I think I remember you writing a post years ago or so, but the idea just of god's agency how god acts and moves being different in the world than ours uh use the image correct me if i totally botched this but it's the image of like a soccer game right and so you got the field and the players on the field and uh, we tend to think of god as just another player on the field where uh one player kicks the ball to me and then i kick the ball over there and then god jumps in and he kicks the ball somewhere you know and god's just like another one of us out on the field playing the ball uh, with the ball that we tend to think it, maybe god's a bigger player like you said we tend to think god is just kind of a souped up bigger version of ourselves but in the reality in that analogy is that god is less like a player on the field and god is more like the field itself <laughs> not to say that god pantheist like god's identified you know with his creation god's distinct from creation as creator but in the sense that god as creator and sustainer that he's holding the field in place that we play on the the field of creation he is giving the breath and the lungs to each player, knowing full well what they're going to do with it, uh, allowing them to kick the ball, use their breath to kick the ball in the direction they're going to. And so in an important way, God is um, sovereignly present and at work through all the activity that happens on kind of the field or the plane of of human activity. Uh, And that doesn't diminish the sense that we also have agency and ownership and responsibility yeah. when we kick the ball in bad directions or you know aka do 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 evil and unjust things did i did i get that right or did i butcher the yeah, analogy no, I mean,
1: god god's not a player on the field he he sustains the field right and 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 he's at work in the players themselves uh in a way that doesn't violate their wills uh so yeah it, just having that creator radical creator creature distinction is very important um I think one other issue relatedly, uh, it's um, thinking through the passive, we were just talking about passive wrath. Um, a lot of folks would try and say, well, okay, that's the only way God's wrath works in scripture. So there's some mm-hmm. kind of popular thinkers right now who are trying to, they see that thread and they're like, yeah, that's good. I can deal with that. I can live with that. And, and they said, in fact, all of God's all of God's judgment is like that, mm-hmm. right? God never actively Involves himself in in an extrinsic fashion. God never, uh, you know, pours out wrath in the sense of you know fire from heaven or whatever it is. It's always just like, okay, I'm letting you suffer your consequences. And um, I think that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, ditto. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll just be blind. God is scripture...
0: kicking Egypt's tail. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, very
1: clearly, it, it, very clearly in this narrative, you see him, you see him pouring out things. You see him causing things in a unique way. And I think you see that all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in plenty of places. Uh places like Ananias and Sapphira falling and uh and uh Herod and uh and then also just the whole book of Revelation places like that. Um but one thing that's important to do is keep keep the vision that we see of of passive wrath uh in mind when we look at moments of active wrath. Hmm. Uh, because they kind of give us a good grid for understanding the symmetry of what God of God, how God's judgment works, mm-hmm. right? The little kid who who eats the roll of sleeves and then suffers the judgment of a stomachache. There's a symmetry there. Mm-hmm. There's you deserve that, right? You did, you chose this, yeah, and, and this is what you're receiving in yourself. Or or, or even think of the way. Um, you know, alcoholism kind of works itself out in, 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 in someone's life. Now it's a, it's a terrible disease and many people are fighting it and, and, that, and that's one thing. But in terms of just like when you give yourself over willingly without regard to, uh, the way it's going to affect your family and things like that, some of the things that start to happen in your life, um, there's, there's a, there's a symmetry there or, or, or you, you know, you cheat on a spouse, uh, they leave you. Well, there, there's a symmetry there because mm. you've broken and violated the relationship mm. and so now the relationship's broken and violated and, and and they walk away there's something similar at work in terms of the way we we understand that god's god's passive wrath there's this perfect symmetry there yeah and the same thing is true with his active wrath we, un- we start to understand there's there's always a proportionality with god's judgments and i think of uh think of this verse in revelation 16. uh the chapter where you're kind of learning about the, the the seven bowls of god's wrath and verse uh verse five uh verse five there's there's this and i heard the angel in charge of the waters say just are you o holy one who is and who was for you brought these judgments for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Mm. And, and you see there, there's this immediate symmetry and parallel. You drank the, you know, those that are being, are being judged in this chapter drank, shed the blood of saints and prophets. Mm. Right. And so they get blood back. Mm. There is that, there is that symmetry of judgment such that he's not giving them anything that they haven't, Given first, wow, haven't yeah. deserved, and so it, it's kind of worked out. And so that's that's another hmm. that's another very important thing, and just letting that symmetry, letting that proportionality, hmm. uh, shape our understanding of what this is. It's not irrational. It's not over the top. It's not disproportionate. It's not petty and vindictive. This thing about pettiness, right? You you think about you think about vindictive uh, retaliation. Uh, you go back to Genesis four. Right, and after after Cain and Abel, uh, there's the story of Lamech, one of the descendants. And uh, I'm trying to think of his exact phrasing. Um, I gotta pull up the verse here, uh, but you'll you'll see. I'm sorry, this is yeah, taking a second here. Um, he says, "He's here. Um, I've killed a man for a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech will Lamech seventy seven times." There's there's that disproportionality to the wrath of man, right? You slightly you mm. slightly insult me, I'm going to overkill and insult your entire family, mm. and maybe run you off the road. There, there's none of that with God. God, he, it's not irrational. It's always at most proportional, and if anything, it's probably merciful with how much God restrains wrath and how yeah. much he forbears, and how much patience he does
0: exercise. Huh. Uh, and so definitely like that, that comes, huh, that comes to strike me even more as you really dig into this is just the patience yeah. of God, you know, and I, I think you mentioned with the Lamech there and you know, like even the, the, you know, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth in the law, like, it seems like a lot of people will take those like, oh, that's just vengeful, whatever. But like, no, someone takes out your eye, you don't want to just take out their eye, you want to take their life, <laughs> you know? Like you, like, you want to take back more than what was taken. And it feels like it's restraining the human impulse mm-hmm. for disproportionality, mm-hmm. in, in some extent, and yeah, and that God, yeah, God's patience and forbearance with with us in our evil and sin and and the things we we do, yeah. And going back to the Exodus narrative here, as we kind of wrap up, maybe here in a moment, land the plane. But it strikes me that um, you know, on, on the active passive, I think sometimes we can think, okay, well, sometimes God is active, sometimes God is, is passive, but it seems like it's more two angles on the same two sides of the same coin Two two angles on the same thing so even in a passage like the plagues on egypt where this stands out as very clearly active wrath like god is unleashing his judgment on egypt and yet when you zoom out to some of those things we talked about earlier the symmetry there's also a symmetry where all right you've you've uh you've worshipped the gods of the nile and these various creatures and whatever and you're sort of getting that come back on you You know you uh you want to rule the earth without god uh then cre- you know creation is Watch unraveling there's a sense of almost like a, a with yeah like almost a withdrawing of god's presence in one sense mm-hmm. you know and creation unraveling without it and then on another the hand god's active mm-hmm. unleashing of decreation um because of egypt's sin and rebellion so so even in the exodus it seems like there's that symmetry of god in a sense Mm -hmm. giving egypt what it deserves and then another sense god um uh god actively unleashing judgment on the empire handing over and uh and an unleashing of his justice
1: yeah and that's that's uh That's very, very big. And and that that kind of brings it into kind of a, there's an interesting uh, passage in in Acts 17. There's a line uh, where Paul is preaching to the Areopagus and uh, he's saying, you know, in the past, God overlooked uh, idolatry and foolishness. He didn't treat it as as it deserved. But now, um, now he's calling everyone, everyone, everywhere to repent. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and the same thought kind of occurs again in Romans 3, where uh, when it talks about God's uh, you know, atonement through Christ and the justification that is coming, uh, it talks about you know, the, the forbearance that God showed in the past. Uh, and Peter Lighthart has this line where he says, in, in, in Paul's understanding, um, God was being nice in the Old Testament. He was winking at sin in the Old Testament. He was he was letting stuff go left and right, right, and 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 people tend to think of the Old Testament God's angry. He's like, no, 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 no that 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 God. You should see what he was dealing with, right? When you really start to look at what he was dealing with, all the things he was letting go, you start to make sense out of the Psalms. Where the problem, the Old Testament, the Old Testament Psalmist, their problem with God's justice and wrath was was not that it was harsh but that it wasn't there enough where are you when are you coming
0: i think i put it yeah i think about I one time the question's not like god if you're good why would you you know why would you ever intervene the question is like god because you're good like why do you wait so long
1: yeah I and mean, that's habakkuk right mm-hmm. habakkuk or, i never know how to say it um, <laughs> he's saying where are you how do you let this go um, and then God says, well, "Watch what's about to happen um, when I bring the Babylonians in." But but that question—if we were really looking at, you know, the radical injustice of the world, if we were really looking at uh, at the sex slave trade, if we're really looking at the mass poverty that could be avoided, if we we're really looking at 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 uh, at rape, at torture, at at, at racism at um you start looking at the the atrocities of history uh and present history the question is is not why is god so angry the question is why hasn't he been angrier uh yeah like why hasn't he judged more
0: Hmm.
2: uh
1: it seems and so so that's that that perspective i think again it kind of goes into the fact that like People, people in oppressed climates uh, and nations, um, you know, Christians uh, who are under persecution uh, in the majority world, uh, places like that often are less likely to – who are not in comfortable positions. They're less likely to um, make accusations about uh, the problem of evil, wiser suffering, mm-hmm. and they're also less likely to have trouble with verses about God's judgment and wrath. I think there's something to really deal with of kind of when it comes to the text and when it comes to these issues, uh, it's not to be flipped, but check your privilege, uh, when it comes to what you take offense at.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that brings us to kind of a good place. I was hoping to kind of land on is just sort of what, you know, what does this mean for us today? Like how, how can this actually, not just be something, you know, how can God's wrath, not just be something we learn to sort of put up with, but actually, um, Be hope for the world and something that actually we see uh, arising because of the goodness of God and give us greater confidence in His goodness. And um, something you just said there really struck me was just like this is actually hope for the oppressed of the world that God Mm -hmm. doesn't only empathize with or identify with, but ultimately God is going to intervene, that God is patient with the injustice of our world. And yet for those who have got the boot of oppressive or unjust power on their neck, like God's patience does not last forever. Like God is coming to set his world right. And that mm-hmm. means judgment on quote unquote Babylon, you know, kind of the, the um, idolatry and injustice of our world and the both personal and systemic, like just realities of things that we have built and constructed that stand opposed to the person and justice of God. Like that that's hope. Like if you're for, for many many around the world like that's i, I think of uh miroslav wolf talks about how yeah it kind of it takes the something to the fact like it takes the privilege of a quiet suburban home kind of removed from the you know removed from the war zones of the world so to speak to to give birth the idea that god's love means his refusal to judge like yeah soaked in the blood in a land soaked in the blood of the innocent that myth will invariably die uh, but when you step into the trenches of the world you know, kind of some of the hard places and realities um as you said we got to kind of check our privilege many of us in the west and see that the longing for god's justice um the crying out how long oh lord mm-hmm. like it actually becomes a cry of hope in the gospel that jesus is coming to establish his kingdom and that means dealing bringing down his justice you know on, on those Kingdoms that stand opposed to the ultimate mm-hmm. kingdom of God,
1: and and that calls it that sounds a note of repentance, right? Paul, Paul, when he proclaims to the Areopagus, he's given, he's calling now for repentance. Uh, there is a chance the the patience of God. Um, you know, we've been talking about the big things like you know and in, in, you know, foreign injustice and and murder, and but but the patience hmm. of God extends to Uh, all of us and the reason that god isn't judging as much as he could the reason that you know that day is still coming is that it gives us chance to repent now to repent in in the greatest largest way which is that that ultimate repentance of of placing your faith in jesus that that the judgment of god in the cross will handle your injustice which is real right Mm. your real true uh dark injustice when you actually deal with it when you actually deal honestly with it so there's there's there's, the, there's that impetus of recognizing what your sin deserves uh, and then mm. what he actually suffered in the cross as he suffered uh, the wrath of God uh, for us. Mm. But yeah. also the motivation of, of recognizing there's a day coming when um, it's all going to get dealt with. Whatever wasn't dealt with at the cross is going to get dealt with at Jesus' hands, right? He's coming, as the Apostles Creed says, to, to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, yes. To establish his kingdom fully and finally, and so there is time to repent, to turn now, uh, in in, yeah. in the big ways and in the and in the in the subsequent ways, like Zacchaeus' ultimate repentance uh, when he meets Jesus, and then a bunch of subsequent repentances and paying back what he what he ripped people off, you know, mm. uh, and the whole yeah. of life being repentance, like Luther, Luther said, you know, every day all of life is repentance, and there's that there's that repenting of our injustices even now. Uh, And and the great privilege of that and the great joy of that. Um,
0: That's so good. Even as you're saying that, uh, I have the image of just the cross is almost like, you know, Jesus, Jesus being unraveled on our behalf that we could be put back together in him. That he bore both the the consequence of our sin and the just judgment of divine judgment Mm -hmm. for our sin in order that we could be brought back into the life that god has for us with him Mm -hmm.
1: and that that just as a a note wrath is important but it's not everything Mm. and and the great news of the resurrection is that god's wrath is one element or one moment in god's uh justice the retributive moment right but the the fullness of his justice is the putting things fully together again Mm. in the resurrection yes right the, the shalom of 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 the next of the next phase it's a necessary moment it's an important moment it's a crucial moment but it's not the whole thing yeah and so you know G- god is god's holiness god's love his perfection his infinity all these kinds of things um, they imply they mean they lead to his judgment and wrath but they're not
0: the whole uh, mm. they're not consumed by it that's right man the story doesn't end with the plagues it ends with the promised land right that's Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. well that is Mm -hmm. so good that uh, sounds like a good note to kind of land the plane on here uh but derek thank you so much for coming on and uh, have really enjoyed the conversation and again i would highly recommend any of you uh, go check out mere fidelity uh the podcast that uh, derek co-hosts as well as um his blog, uh, DerekZRishMaui.com. Is there anything else, that uh, any other ways folks can kind of keep in touch with what you're up to?
1: No, those, those are it. If you, if you want to ever subscribe to my RUF uh, newsletter, see what we're doing at UC Irvine, pray for us. Uh, I'd love that too. We can send the link for that. But aside from that, thank you so much. It's been a great privilege uh, to be on uh, and great talking to as always, Josh.
2: Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Redemption is one church in nine local congregations across the state of Arizona. Our vision at Redemption Tempe is to create disciples of Jesus who seek the reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. each week. You can learn more about us and how to get plugged into the life of our church by downloading our phone app called Redemption Church Tempe or on our website at tempe.redemptionaz.com. And lastly, we would love to hear from you. Please send any questions or feedback you might have about this podcast or our church by emailing tempe at redemptionaz.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week.